0: Welcome to Accounting High.
1: When you've got a practice, we want to grow the practice. We want to build a practice that gives us that time, money, and freedom. Embrace the fact that you're not a technician. You are not just that accountant. Now, you are a business owner. You are an entrepreneur. You've got to remove yourself away from the doing so you can actually work on the business and build a business that you're proud of, that gives you that money, time, and freedom. That ultimately you desire and want and that's the reason why you set up your business in the first place
2: may I have your attention please
3: if you're listening on the show, hear what GACon can do for you.
4: It's accounting integrators. We're integrating Google Sheets with different accounting software. Xeros, QuickBooks, Sage, FreshBooks. We do two-way synchronization to download raw data, reports, consolidation reports, and do bulk upload.
3: Corey, you want to
2: say a couple words? You're like the student sitting in the front row. Where do you see people using the product more? Like is it more in the reporting or the data side?
4: Why you really use using GCON to automate the process. So basically, we're helping accountants, business owners to have these numbers as accurately as possible and as fast as possible. We're managing a lot of data in both directions.
2: This excites me. As someone that's coming from building custom integrations, this is basically a tap into the API, pulling invoice data, location data, payment data line items, customers, right? This becomes very powerful. It's more than just reporting.
3: You're limited by your imagination.
2: Yes, that's true. One of the key features is not only that two-way sync for a lot of people, but I think it's just extracting raw data. It's great to have report, and those are super valuable, but where my head went to is like, building some of the working papers for the balance sheet, if you can start to pull some transaction level detail or account level detail, that can automate a lot of the accounting process that many people just don't like
3: doing. This is a huge, huge unlock. I've been wanting to do things like this forever with access to all the data pieces. You can pull data from one client and another and another and compare them all.
4: And then you can go even further, right? It will be your dashboards. This will be your BI solutions, your presentation layers. And that will give you huge visibility, right, to the client. They don't like to dig in numbers. They want to see it's colorful on the graph, your next presentation layer. People use us a lot this way too.
3: You could also export that data into your QuickBooks or Zero.
4: This can be done too, yep. Ooh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Secure... Automated, easy, two-way sync. Head explosions going on. That's awesome. What can our listeners do? What can they do to sign up? Like this is the call to action here.
4: They can access us through our website or go to Google Workspace Marketplace, type g and you will have all our products there. Install it and go ahead.
3: G-ACON, what's the website URL? We can put that in the notes.
4: ACON, uh, A-C-C-O-N dot services.
3: Okay.
2: You guys have a 14-day free trial for anyone that wants to test it out, yes. experiment. That's what yep, I'll be doing it's absolutely next.
4: absolutely free. They don't have to put any credit cards. We just want them to be comfortable and see if it still really works for them. Go and try us out.
2: May I have your attention, please?
0: Welcome to Accounting High. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. So hang tight and learn with us as we grow. At Accounting High, you can expect to gain knowledge in a completely different way than what you may be used to with some fun and oftentimes colorful conversations. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. In addition, share this episode on social media tagging us at Accounting High. So sit back, relax, and open your mind because class is in session.
2: I repeat. May I have your attention, please?
0: This is another public
3: service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else?
2: Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show,
3: Scotty and Riza.
2: We're going to have a problem here.
3: I am so grateful to have the RZA on (laughs) again. We're recording on our last year. It was on Independence Day. This year, it's a day earlier, but it's our same date pretty much year after year. Let me set the stage a little bit for anybody that hasn't listened to RZA's episode. First episode at Accounting High. Stop the scroll. Great episode. I loved it. It's been an inspiration for me. RIZA is an FCA and a CTA. A qualified chartered accountant is FCA. Where's the F come in?
1: So the F comes in when you are uh, 10 years after you qualify, you become a fellow of the Institute of Chartered Accountants. So. Are you a fellow? I'm a fellow now, are yeah. Are a
3: fellow now? And okay. a chartered tax advisor, CTA. Mm-hmm. RIZA's brand, Capture Accounting, serves content creators and influencers riz has got a niche i love this spends most of his time coaching and mentoring accounting firm owners his community is called profitable accountants community pack the pack i love the pack i'm in a i'm on a lot of packs i'm not in this pack but i'm in the x pack i'm in the g pack i'm in the fresh pack the two pack um, yeah, yeah two pack Ooh, yes <laughs> we didn't get to the riza comment yet um, he speaks regularly at accounting conferences you may catch him at Accountex across the pond, Accounting Web, QuickBooks, and other events, possibly coming soon to U.S. events near you. Absolutely. He's a world traveler. Rizzo just wrote a book, too, the book that he was alluding to in, our, in his last episode. He's published it. He's released it. It's amazing. It's called The Four Pillars. Four Pillars, How to Build an Accounting Firm that Gives You More Money, Time, and Freedom. Money, time, and freedom are things that we talk about a lot here at Accounting High. He's got the Profitable Accountant Podcast, The Pap. And I'm wearing my Wu-Tang shirt because he is also (laughs) the founder of the Wu-Tang Clan, the RZA. I love how you put that. Excited to be here, Scotty. Oh, I'm so excited to have uh, you you here, man. You
1: better let the audience know that you gave me this nickname and it's dark now.
3: And... Yeah, in your intro, in your story, in your book, you wrote something on the second paragraph of your story. You wrote, I was 27, and although doing OK, in all caps, OK, my rap name is OKR. <laughs> OK Rapper. So you got a three-letter acronym nickname, the RZA, and I have a three-letter acronym nickname, the OKR. Yeah. Now... Okay, a rapper. Yeah, so brilliant, love it. Doing okay with that, but this is uh, not about the raps today. This is about Riza, even though he is a former rapper turned
1: accountant.
3: Oh. <laughs> uh, Riza, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm really good, thanks. And I'm excited to be here yet again at the uh, the newly the newly titled uh, County High. I think it wasn't quite that. No, last it wasn't. When I spoke,
3: I had yeah. just came up with the name. I haven't even done. I hadn't done the rebrand at that time. So. We're post-rebrand. We're just ending freshman year at Accounting High, so you still got the freshman year intro. So we're going into sophomore year, and we need to get serious about this education part of the platform. I've been having fun with the entertainment, and this is some real education here. We have a real author who wrote a dope book. If I were to write a book right now, which I am, I would call it How to Rap, How to Run an Accounting Practice. Nice. And you talk about that a lot in this book. You talk about running a business is a lot different than being a technician and working in the business. And that was one of your pitfalls of early days of owning a practice was you were stuck working in the business. Mm -hmm. You couldn't work on the business. So tell me what that means to you now that you are running two businesses, or do you feel like now you are currently stuck in the business of your pack? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, thankfully, I've learned lessons from the first business, so I haven't made the same mistakes again in the second business to kind of be stuck in the technician role, and I've learned to leverage my time a lot better and doing what I love. So I love, I love working in the pack, but I, I leverage my time, so it's a, it's a one-to-many model where I can come on and I can teach at scale, and I can bring together a community of accountants from across the globe, but it doesn't take up Every day of every hour of uh, of my time, it's a lot less than I was consumed in my first business. But it, it, it's the same for all of us. We kind of go through this the same uh, the same background in terms of you know we we do our accountancy exams, we do our training, we go and work for a big firm, and then we have the big idea of actually I can do this better. I can go and set up a myself and do this whole accounting thing myself in my own way, with my own vision and serve clients at a much higher level than, than I am at the moment. And I was the same. I had those uh, ambitions when I was at PwC, so I left and I bought a small accountancy practice. And although I was, a, I was a good accountant, I was a good tax advisor, I was a rubbish business owner. I had no idea how to run a business, because when you do your accountancy training, nobody teaches you how to run a business. Nobody teaches you how to price your services. Nobody teaches you how to win work. Nobody teaches you how to sell. Nobody teaches you how to manage and lead a team. So you end up just winging it and doing what you inherited from wherever you are at. And soon you get consumed just being that technician. And it's very hard to kind of break through until you kind of, you know, you learn those skills, you learn from others, you start to read more widely, you embrace the fact that you're not a technician, you are not just that accountant now, you are a business owner, you are an entrepreneur. You've got to remove yourself away from the doing so you can actually work on the business and build a business that you're proud of, that gives you that money, time, and freedom that ultimately you desire and want. And that's the reason why you set up your business in the first place.
3: And that's a mindset shift to understand and know that because that's we can go blind to that. I didn't know that I was working in my firm. I didn't know that there was another option. I didn't know there was anything else. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do because I was doing what... I was, what I learned, it was a learned skill from people who owned businesses before me, or at least people I was close to, other accountants. I was in a franchise, and this is how everybody was doing it. It wasn't until I read E-Myth that mm. I really learned about working on the business, and I heard that phrase, and it started to click. And then for me, at least, because our journeys are very parallel. I'm, I think I'm about two or three years behind you as far as the whole trajectory goes and the book writing and everything but man if it wasn't like line for line when i'm reading this story and reading this book it was like every word in there was a parallel from a different country for me like it's so crazy just a couple different year years and then take away the the pound signs and change it to a dollar sign and we've got pretty much the uh same story here So so it's so cool i'm kind of like looking at my future right and it was Actually, for me, it was the entrepreneurial operating system, Traction, EOS, that really gave me a system and a way to get out of the business. Mm. I think this book here, The Four Pillars, is your Traction for accountants, is your EOS. You're giving them practical step-by-step ways to get out of their day-to-day. And for any firm that's actually running, you wrote this in order for them. You wrote this for the firm owner, for the business owner that's stuck. There is another path for somebody that's just starting out They can skip phase one, but you wrote this four phases plus five with the productivity mm-hmm. for the firm owner that's in a way running in a hamster wheel right now. You wrote this for me four years ago, five years ago. I needed this. I have it now, and I could share it. This is the gospel. And one thing I wrote about it was in your story make your own unique dent in the universe nothing in this book is unique very little in today's world is unique and that's very true especially with generative ai and everything very little is unique and this is your interpretation and you've read a lot you're a seasoned reader you're you're a philosopher now i, I think so talk to me about the process of getting the book out into the world
1: yeah no thank you that's a uh, very kind of you Scotty, and yeah, I remember talking to you last year when I was in the midst of it, and it just, it just felt like such a heavy lift that when is this ever going to get done? Because writing a book is not easy. I remember having the idea for it in December 2021. I was on holiday in Barbados. And, you know, when you're on a holiday, your kind of mind is free. And I was thinking about, right, what is the next big thing? January was coming up. It was the Christmas holidays. We always try and get away. December 21, we're in Barbados having a a lovely family holiday. And I get the idea of, right, okay. well, January, my resolution is going to be I want to write this book because I'd been teaching accountants for a few years now. So I'd kind of solidified my framework. The four pillar framework was up and running So just a bit of background on the four pillar framework that when I started to teach accountants, I knew I had to have a framework in order to be able to teach what I'd learned over the last 10, 10 to 15 years. So that the process that I came up with the four pillars was actually write down all the things that you did over the last 10 years to get your practice to a position where it can run without you. And as as I started to do that, write down all these statements around how I got my practice to run without me. It then turned out that they all fell within one of those four areas, one of those four pillars, the pricing, the people, the process and the positioning. And that's where the four pillars was born. And I was teaching this process to accountants. So it's a natural follow on from that that, yeah, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to encapsulate kind of everything that I learned, a shortcut essentially for firm owners to not waste time and money doing the wrong things like I did, but actually, you know, take the shortcut, read the book and don't make the same mistakes that I did. So December 21 had the idea. I remember going on LinkedIn in December 21 to look for a book coach because I knew that yes, I could write the book, but without the accountability there, I probably won't get it done. Other things will take priority because it's such a heavy lift. So I remember going on LinkedIn, trying to find a book coach, and it turned out they do exist, and booked a meeting with a, a book coach in January that meeting then led to engaging the book coach to get some kind of accountability in place to say, right, okay, this is the plan. She was going to help me with the the development side of the book in terms of, right, okay, how do we lay it all out? How do we make sure it's cohesive and coherent for the potential readers? And then having accountability sessions every month. So she was going to hold me accountable to what I said I was going to do in terms of, right, okay, I'm going to write X amount of chapters before our next meeting. And that really helped. I don't think without the accountability, I would have got it out in the time frame that I did. The target was 12 months. It went slightly over. It took me around 15 months to actually finish it, get it done, get it out there, published and printed. But it's not um, too bad. Just what, nope. three
3: more months to get it just how you want it, to get it right. And, and that seems like a, a pretty decent timeline. You hear some people, they've been writing books over three years because they don't dedicate the time to it, they don't have anybody holding them accountable, they're just talking about it. So finding that accountability coach was huge. And just a little sidetrack, you finding somebody on LinkedIn is very similar to how people would find you, I guess. Like if you're marketing to content creators all over the world, you're marketing to them on LinkedIn, you're doing things. So what did you look for when you went to find that coach? Was there things that you were doing that you saw parallels that they were doing or was it something entirely different process?
1: In terms of what a book, I guess. Were they creating
3: content? Like when you were looking for the coach on LinkedIn, you didn't yeah. even know this existed. So you're going no. blind and how did you, in picking somebody that's a pretty intimate process to pick somebody mm-hmm. to be working with you alongside for, you knew it was gonna be 12 months. So how did you go about that process to choose and select a coach? Okay.
1: I mean, for a start, there aren't that many book coaches out there. So when you type in book coach, there's a few that come up. But one of them stood out to me. And I guess this is what happens when you become an author. It was somebody who'd written a book herself. And she'd written a book to help other business owners, other entrepreneurs, write their own business book. And she was a judge on the Business Book Awards held here in the UK. So she kind of, you know, in terms of credibility, tick, tick, tick. And that's what we do when we're looking for something. And it's the same in our marketing. So this is a tip for, you know, accountants when you're doing your marketing. People, people are looking for shortcuts to tick off in their mind. Can this person help me solve a problem? Do they have the credibility? Is the no like trust factor there? And clearly for me finding care, it was. She had written her own book. She ghostwrites for others. She's a judge on the panel. So I had a meeting with her and it, you know, we we clicked, resonated, and engaged her, and, and the rest was was history. And um, yeah, glad to have her on board.
3: Yeah, and I think that's, I and I knew it would tie into the way that you discuss marketing in the book too. No like and trust. You're telling a story, you're grabbing their attention, but you're also, you know, displaying what you can do for them and what you've done in the past too. All through your marketing, and it's all pretty effortless once you crack the system, once you start that system. Storytelling is huge in any in anybody's platform, in anybody's marketing and media. I just released an episode today on the conversations that you have with your market, and you're doing that through your content, and you're creating content for content creators because that's your accountancy firm. Tell me about your, now that you're an established author, now that you have a community, now that you're a media mogul, how do you, what's your day-to-day look like at the practice? Is it still 10 hours? Is it a week? Is it less? Is it more?
1: Yeah, no, it's a lot less now. It's probably around five hours a week, if that. If that, yeah. So most of my time is spent creating content and helping my accountant's audience in the pack, in the Profitable Accountants community. I also have a mastermind, a Profitable Accountants mastermind group. So I have one-to-one coaching that I do with practice owners and have small groups of firm owners in a similar level similar size helping each other as well in mastermind groups so most of my time and energy is spent now coaching and mentoring accountants in terms of a day in the life so i'm in term, what i wrote in the productivity book in terms of the skills i developed in order for me to be able to to do what i do in terms of run you know two separate businesses plus have time for family plus being able to take off school with holidays plus managing you know property portfolio and all those sort of things has come through being really you know, learning about what is the most effective way to get things done from all the productivity gurus and experts out there. Uh, people like Nir Eyal, who wrote the book Indistractable, um, which is fantastic. So I am very intentional with my time now. And I know that my energy levels are at their highest in the morning. And I know how important it is for us to, in terms of for us to be the most effective with our minds, we have to be uh, as conscious of what we do to our bodies. You know what we eat, how in terms of the quality of our sleep, how much exercise we get. So my mornings are set aside for myself and my deep work. So what that means is, after the school run, I drop the kids, I go to the gym, I head to the gym straight away. So this morning is at the gym for about an hour and a half, a bit of cardio, a bit of strength work. Finish finished the gym and then I had a coffee shop next door to the gym. So now I'm in, in a zone which allows me to do my deep work. So from the hours of about 10 to 1 p.m. is my time for deep work. I have no meetings. No one can book a call with me in that time. And I use Canonly for all my meetings and all my calls. I just book it out. No one can book a call with me between 10 and 1 p.m. ever in the morning. So that is my time where I create my content or I prepare materials for my accountant's audience. And that was the time that I was using to write the book as well, which I was doing last year. So that just gives me the, the best leverage in terms of I know my energy is at its highest at that time in the morning. So I carve that out. I make sure that that is reserved for me. It's no emails, no phone calls, all that can wait till the afternoon when you know energy levels are a bit lower and then I can do all that kind of shallow work afterwards. So that's kind of enabled me to to kind of just you know produce a lot more than how most people operate. They kind of just get in, check their inbox, they've got distractions, they've got the phone ringing, they've got emails, phone calls. You know, we we kid ourselves that we can multitask. We can't multitask. No. What we are doing is switch tasking. We are moving from one task to another and that has an effect in terms of it deteriorates the amount of actual focused energy we can actually have on one task at one time.
3: Oh, I love that. I've been preaching that and studying that for years. And it's hard, everybody wallows in the shallows. They just go right into their email, they get that dopamine hit. And for you, what I love is, you've got a ritual. You're doing things and your body understands and knows that and it's just become part of your routine. And you even have little hits along the way to keep you going, because going to the coffee shop and having a coffee is a little bit of that dopamine hit or Mm -hmm. that that rush that you can get, or that little little, um, gift or Spark of joy that you can get before you start doing the work too. It's that little ignition, uh, ignite to keep you to, you know, after the workout, if you even attempt to start dragging, that coffee is going to get you back up to the level that you need to be to get the work done too. I love that. It's a little reward Um, in the middle of the morning too. And you you also said in the book, no coffee after 12. Absolutely. So explain that (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. Some people are drinking coffee all day. Coffee lovers.
1: Yeah. No, it, it, it really impacts the quality of your sleep. I mean, I'm I'm very much affected by caffeine. So if I have any coffee after 12 p.m., it affects my sleep. And, you know, when you don't have enough sleep, you're not fully recharged, then you feel sluggish the next day, you're not at optimum levels of energy, you eat badly, and everything gets messed up. So sleep is, you know, equally important. Well, very important, really. Oh, it's the
3: most important. Sleep, no That's thing. kicks off your day. That sets the tone for the day is how much sleep Definitely. you got the night before. How much hour? How many hours of sleep do you target?
1: I uh, try and get at least seven to eight hours a day. Okay, that's so, yeah. My phone, all my uh, notifications, and just goes and do not disturb after about nine thirty p.m. So try and be in bed by ten and asleep by ten thirty. So awake by sort of six thirty a.m. Yeah. So a good, good eight hours.
3: So the cycle I used to get into when I was running my firm, when I was working in the firm, when I was stuck in that hamster wheel was, I would get up. I would wallow in the shallows, I would do anything reactive I could. I would have my meetings set all day and I had no real control over the time blocks of when the meetings were scheduled. They were just happening. New clients, sales, current clients, anything. And then I would go home or I would I would I would do something, you know, to break up that day and then I would actually get to the real work at night when everybody's <laughs> going to bed when everybody's you know at home with the family i'm there i may be at home i may be at back at the office and i'm working late sleep was the last of in the priority list because i needed to get all this work done and i would get no interruptions at night so i would just do it all at night it was terrible you know lots of red bull and lots of coffee whatever it was and i just ignored sleep Nobody told me how important sleep was until I started reading more books mm-hmm. and learning how important our health is and, and the foundational things to take care of. So before you do anything else, I think, you know, one of the pre prequels to this book is all that health stuff that you talk Definitely. about. You know, you can't really grow a successful business or grow anything if you're not growing yourself, you know, spiritually, internally, mentally, your health, all of that. Um so I think the first thing is to work on yourself and that's something that you've done you've been doing were you, were you always this intentional about your time?
1: No no not at all. Just the you know just like the the business journey you don't know what you don't know. You just kind of do things on autopilot with habits that you have because if no one actually spells it out to you or you don't realize that actually the reason why I'm feeling so sluggish or the reason why I'm you know, not at a high energy level, it is because of X, Y, and Z, if it's not pointed out to you, or if you don't actually feel the pain of it, then you're never going to change. So, no, absolutely, I never, it helped that my, my wife is a personal trainer and nutritionist, so she kind of helped to to point out these things to me over the course of the years that we've been together. And then, yeah, just kind of being open to hearing about and learning about optimum routines and the importance of looking after yourself and you know, how do the most successful, the most productive people operate and just, you know, getting the, those tips. And it just helps to put in place this routine that allows me to, to be as, you know, well, not, not it doesn't work every day, but, you know, more 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 often than not, I, um, you know, try and keep on track with, with the routine. But I know if I, if I get a good night's sleep and I go to the gym, then I feel good for the rest of the day. But don't get a good night's sleep because I had coffee at, like, 2pm or something, and I I disobeyed my own rule. then I suffer the next day. So your kind of body tells you.
3: uh, Yeah, yeah. I fall into the trap where I chase a good time too. I've always been a night owl, always been a night person. And then I've been doing a lot of traveling too. So my sleep always gets messed up when I'm out on trips and when when I'm traveling, especially when I'm with a lot of people. Do you ever find that that happens? Or are you very disciplined when you're doing your traveling too?
1: To be honest, I don't do much traveling at the moment. The only traveling I do is, uh, is family holidays at the okay. moment. But otherwise, yeah, it's pretty limited. Everything I do is all virtual. It's all online. So I don't have to travel anywhere much. And if I go to the conferences to speak to, they tend to be fairly local. So London sure. is only uh, a couple of hours away. So, yeah, thankfully, I don't have to uh, to worry about uh, too much traveling. I have four kids at home as well. So I'm still, you know, daddy dad's taxi. To To drive people around and drive the kids around here there and everywhere are going to need to be around, and therefore can't take too many days off and be away from the family so uh but it works well for us oh no no, so, no, no no, I love that that's routine.
3: great and your wife being a personal trainer and nutritionist, I like to say my wife is a personal chef she's <laughs> uh, she's <laughs> learning a lot about uh nutritionist and she's been cooking um a lot differently, but that must be great, you know, just to have somebody there to kind of keep you in line too you have a really cool mantra too, or you think big and you say there are no rules. You push the boundaries. What got you to think like that? Was there inspiration early in life? Was there somebody that inspired you? I guess, you know, who, who inspired you to think big and to do big and to do all this?
1: That's a great question. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that happened when there was anyone in particular, uh, I think I probably started very late on in life in terms of just realizing the potential that one has and actually that, because I, I was fairly, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly academic. I was never, uh, you know, I didn't get amazing results in my degree or my chartered accountancy qualifications. I kind of just, you know, was fairly, fairly average, fairly mediocre until I discover the whole world of self-development which i didn't really do until my mid-30s mm-hmm. so it kind of went a lot of years without realizing that you know there's there's a lot of untapped potential here
0: Ooh. and
1: you don't have to figure things out alone and immerse yourself in the world of self-development read the books listen to the podcasts that are people that have gone before you you don't have to figure things out yourself and that was the huge the huge kind of uh, epiphany moment for me and that's transformed my results and ultimately my life and so this is what I'm preaching to others now, to say, look, look, don't wait until your are mid-30s to figure out what I figured out. You know, when you're in your 20s, this is what you need to be doing. And it's the same advice I'm giving my, you know, my son, who's 15 now, to do the same. You know, I've, I'm getting him all the books. I'm telling him, get him a, a YouTube premium account so he can start listening to stuff on the go without the ads and fill his brain with good stuff. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're, and as Jim Rohn said, formal education will make you a living, but self-education Will make you a fortune Ooh. so if you want to make a fortune start working on educating yourself which yeah i'm sure you, you are. i'm sure you are I'm you fully to that. and i did it the what same way
3: dude i was in mid-30s when i started this journey i've always been a big thinker but it was always like in the back of you know pushed back and and stifled and you know it, and it created a lot of anxiety it created a lot of dissonance internally because I never actually acted on the stuff I wanted to do I always wanted to be a rapper I always wanted to be some kind of entertainer and I'm about to turn 40 this year and I just started doing it this year but it was the books and it was the self-development journey that I went on to lead to that to give me that space so um amongst like learning about working on the firm and changing the firm it was not until I really started the self-development and started to change my habits and started to wake up about what I was eating and what I was putting in my body and how much I was sleeping. It wasn't until I got that stuff right. And I spent a whole year just on that. Once I got that stuff right, then it was a real, and I don't know if you went through this too, but I had a real existential crisis going through because I, I didn't grow up going to doing theater or, or actually doing or actually, rapping or anything like that. I was pretty much. I thought I was going to be an accountant all the way through. Like I, I had a little bit of a fork in the road, but then it steered right back into accountancy. And it wasn't until I really like tapped into that that I started to dig down and find where my anxieties were stemmed from, and to find where that frustration and where that you know want to to grow and to be big and to do big things, not even be big, but just to do big things that I was proud of of myself and that I could respect myself. And I feel like you've been on that journey too. And I love that you're passing the torch early to your son. And you mentioned the YouTube premium. My son's always on YouTube. I might need to get him premium to get rid of those ads because he learns so much. He's a little, uh, Fountain of Knowledge, he just spits out facts to me all day and I know he got them straight from YouTube, YouTube shorts and YouTube different things too. You know, this journey that you're on, I'm just following you. I'm I'm a few steps down on the escalator, but I'm on my way up there too. So I love this. This is inspiration for me for sure. And mm-hmm. how about early on when you started doing the self-development, what are some of the books or authors or people that really like that you could remember reading and that you said, "I get it now." Like this is This is what I'm supposed to be doing.
1: Yeah, so I remember the first book I read, uh, I remember where I was, I was on a holiday in Tenerife. And for some reason, I don't know why I hadn't got into business books before then, but I had a book, someone had recommended it. It was the book Drive by Dan Pink. Mm -hmm. And in a nutshell, uh, what Dan says is that it's all about employee motivation. What really drives employee motivation? And he... He condenses it all down into these three areas, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That we go through life, and I was the same, I had my practice, and I think, okay, fine, well, the reason why my employees are not motivated is because they're not earning enough. So let me put some carrots there to say, if you do this, then you will get this. And if you work harder and we achieve this result, you will get this kind of bonus. But actually... Research has shown that most people, most knowledge workers are not motivated by money. Throwing more money at them is not going to get them to work harder. We need to work on these three areas. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy, I mean, meaning giving them independence. Independence in terms of how they, how they operate. The whole results only work environment. Work when, where, and how you want, as long as the work gets done. You know, everyone has that desire of, of freedom of freedom, of having that independence. And your employees want that, too. So giving your employees
3: Speaking that of on the US autonomy, Independence Day, or the eve of yeah, US Independence absolutely Day, absolutely again, available. you've done it again.
1: Nice. <laughs> so autonomy, but with accountability, to say, look, you, I don't care when, where, how you do it, as long as you get it done, and I hold you accountable to the results. I don't care that you're not here in nine to five, or I don't care that you're not in the office. It doesn't matter to me. Knowledge workers don't need to be in a fixed place in working in a fixed time, work to get done. So that's the autonomy. The mastery side is to get everyone working in their zones of genius. Every individual, every employee of yours has strengths, has natural gifts, has natural talents. You need to find out what that is. And then it gives them more of what gives them that energy and joy and, and enables them to work in their zone of genius. Because as human beings, we want to grow. We want to do something that gives us that satisfaction that we are using our God-given talents and gifts towards, you know, something that's adding value to people's lives. And the last is purpose, which is that what I'm doing is working towards a bigger goal, something bigger than just churning out a set of accounts or doing some bookkeeping. The bigger goal is, you know, helping people to have a better life, helping people to build a better business so they can have a better life and and do all the things that they want to do with their family, et cetera. So connecting what your people are doing to a bigger goal, a bigger purpose for them to feel that what they are doing is actually worthwhile to somebody somewhere, that helps you again to to drive employee motivation forward. So that was the first book, which was a it was a game changer for me in terms of how I managed, how I led my team. And I guess the I guess maybe the thing that, you know, we had enabled me to action those changes was my risk profile as an entrepreneur. So I'd always been fairly risk-seeking. I remember, you know, when I was young, playing Monopoly and kind of going all out, you know, mm-hmm. buying all the hotels right at the very beginning with all my money and hoping that, you know, right, that's it. I'm going all in, someone will land on it. Or like that, poker, do you was, play
3: poker? And is that I, don't, you I don't play poker, no. Yeah, I don't okay, care. okay.
1: Professionally gambled. <laughs> Monopoly was my Fair enough, fair enough. My opening. Fake money. But that, that's kind of, but... But that mindset helped me to take a gamble in terms of, right, okay, well, let me take the concepts that I'm learning in this book and actually apply them. So I think that's the difference, that most people, a lot of people will read the stuff, they'll know what to do, but they won't have the courage and the conviction to actually go away and implement what they've read. And that's the difference between those who actually make a success of you know their business and their life is they actually act on the advice that they receive that they hear that they read that they listen to. So that, that and so that was the opening drive. And then I read Work Sucks by um, Jody Thompson and Callie Resler. They're the pioneers of the results-only work environment. And that kind of changed my thinking with regards to the nine-to-five and the timesheet. So we got rid of the timesheets. We got rid of the working hours. Our team can work when, where, how they want as long as the work gets done. And then there was a whole host I read about Simon Sinek's books and Patrick Lancioni's books around people, pricing books from Ron you know Baker's. Ron Baker, Mark Wickersham, and others, sales books by uh, sales videos are really good. So there's a chap called you know Victor Antonio on YouTube. So kind of immersing myself in his stuff and uh, with regards to how do I conduct better you know prospect meetings, sales meetings to be able to to get that prospect from. A position of where they are to where they want to get to, you know, all these things then help to make those one percent improvements. In which we know, you know, a one percent change every day is then thirty-seven times better by the end of the year. So Compounding the compound effect.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good Atomic Habits reference there, or other things. Everybody talks about that. And some of your some of your heroes or some of the influence people that influenced you along the way, you got on the forward to this book. You know, you got a lot of acknowledgements from people that were teaching you along the way too and i'm sure a lot of their teachings made made its way into the book because you're taking the one thing i really loved was when when you were saying very little in this world is unique it's just one person's interpretation of everything there's no unique messages. you're just the humble messenger and you're that unique uh you're you're the filter for all the ideas of everything that you learned and your journey along the way, only you can get dist- distill it in this way, and it's a million different pieces of different things that you've built up into being who you are, and so your interpretation of all this is very clean and clear on how to run a practice, and this is this has been so inspirational for me because that's the book that I'm writing. I've got a writing <laughs> partner too, and we're running, we're writing how to run a practice and our core i don't know if we're calling it pillars or not but our core all start with the letter p just as well mm-hmm. and everything's so similar and it just so happens they start with the letter p i tried to go back to the source of that and you wrote about it in the, in the book too how all of your pillars start with the letter p and it just so happened to be but then for me at least i leaned in once i started to see all these words i you know i tried to go for and for me it was different i wasn't trying to create a curriculum. I was just trying to create content in the show and I wanted something with some purpose. So I, I started to find all of the different areas of a practice that people should focus on and learn more about. And they all started to start with the letter P. So I leaned in and I just went hard and we did like <laughs> 32 different P words. Probably drove, you know, probably killed a dead horse there and drove it a little too far. <laughs> but at the same time, it was super fun to do. I had a lot of fun, you know. It's the, it's the journey, right? And having fun along the journey and, and making that the destination. If the journey is the destination, then everything you do along the way, is if it's fun, it's successful. Even if it's a failure, it's successful because you learned from that and you move on to do different things. And it may not be how you mapped it out in the beginning. So tell me some some big roadblocks or quote-unquote failures that you hit along the way to doing this. Because again, I think, you're probably somebody that agrees with me here there are really no failures they're just guideposts along the way and maybe you change direction but nothing's a real like i took this big risk and i failed and now i'm nothing like once you learn that that's another big unlock too mm. Tell me about absolutely
1: you. yeah i mean everything is ju- is a journey isn't it when i when i started out that's exactly what i was doing i was experimenting in terms of you know how do i when you've got to practice we all have the same same desires. We want to uh, we want to grow the practice. We want to build a practice that gives us that time, money, and freedom. And we try lots of different things. So we try different things to win clients. And I tried many things to to win clients. Turned out that they were all tactics, and I really wasn't clued up on the strategy. I learned later that tactics without strategy is just noise. So I had to go back to basics and figure out right. Okay, well, what is strategy? What do I actually have to do to be able to you know, figure out where am I going with all of this to get clear on that, get clear on the who, as I say in the book, that's the first mm-hmm. thing you need to do, get clear on the who. Once you get clear on the who, the what, where, and how that's to the then find your clients becomes so much easier. It's all to do with with positioning. So going through that journey of, you know, trying different things, same with pricing, you know, trying to, again, a journey of figuring things out, doing things the wrong way to begin with, doing the timesheets, charging by the hour, and then actually seeing the impact of that. So I, there's a there's a there's a story I mentioned in the book about a time when we had a we had a really good client that was paying us a five digit recurring fee. We helped them to to stay afloat. So we did some additional work for them over and above the recurring work to give them a lifeline to actually stay in business. And the client was very grateful for our support. We were clocking time in the background, so we just thought, right, okay, with well, a client, sign an engagement letter with us. Whatever time we have clocked up for, you know, the project to help them stay in business, to help them find this facility that was going to keep them in business, we'll just charge him what we had on the timesheet. So in that meeting, I remember passing over the sheet to him, which had a breakdown of all the hours that we spent after, we, you know, he he came into that meeting, you know, elated, really happy, really appreciative of all the work we'd done. And then we said, oh, yeah, by the way, and here is here is our a schedule of hours of all the time we spent. And the, the his face just went white. It, his jaw just dropped. And the whole relationship changed from that point on. Oh, yeah. He clearly wasn't happy because, A, he'd been surprised. He wasn't expecting well, he was it. He didn't you over tell him. 10K it was coming. a month
3: already, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Clients clients hate surprises. Clients hate the uncertainty. And we'd gone from having a client where we could do nothing wrong. We were up there in terms of, you know, perception and value to him to now at the bottom. And within within a couple of weeks, he said, sorry, um, I found somebody else. I can't work with people who send me surprise invoices and don't tell me how much I'm gonna pay before they start the work. So that really was an eye opener. That kind of got me thinking to say, well, this is a really good client. And we lost this client because we surprised him. And And the realization to me that actually, if someone did that to me, I wouldn't be very happy either. So it then got me on the world of, okay, where there must be a better way of doing things. And then I came across the works of Mark Wickersham, Ron Baker about value pricing, start to learn more and then started to implement some of what I was learning, started to get better results where the results I was getting was, you know, it, value pricing is win-win because the client is happy that they're going to get a result. They know exactly what they're going to pay. They know what they're going to get, and we know internally that yeah, for that fee, we can absolutely generate a result and make money on it. So it's win-win, and that's the way it should be. That we should be paid when we generate a result. We shouldn't just be paid because we're spending time with a client.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and again, it's getting out of that carousel or out of that hamster wheel because it's a trap. You know, you're doing it, and that's how that's your methods. It's the same way I feel with finally picking and going in on a vertical which i haven't done a niche i haven't done that at my firm yet Um, my firm is chugging along it's very very profitable everything we're doing seems to be right but all of our clients are everywhere and they're everywhere across the world too the only common thread they have is they're all using zero so (laughs) we don't have that real industry vertical or industry niche that you have talk about the process of because it sounds like you know that 10k a month client or whatever it was that left they weren't content creators and like that's an entirely different pivot to finally go all in and it's scary it's scary for me because i still haven't done it you know i might do it with a new firm create a whole new firm and then figure out the positioning from day one but doing that and again i haven't got to entire you know set part of the book yet so i may need to do that too (laughs) but give me a little preview before i get there and i apologize i wanted to read the whole book before we recorded but hey this is um yeah yeah, no worries no worries i got got back-to-back trips too so let's talk about that like finally doing that what did you do to to go through that process talk about your your journey there
1: okay so there's a there's a step before the content creator niche and that is the real estate niche. Oh. So uh, the, when and I when You have when a property portfolio
3: to, too. So on top of all your other businesses, you also <laughs> have real estate. That's crazy. <laughs> That's right.
1: So, I mean, I, I was under the same journey. I was reading all the books. I was listening to, you know, all the great minds on the planet talk about marketing. And the, the common theme was that you need to get your audience right. You need to figure out who it is that you are serving So having heard all of this, then I thought, okay, well, let me go through my client base. Let me try and find a particular group of clients that I want to serve, that I enjoy serving, that I have some interest in. So my first niche with the original firm was actually in real estate into property. And I did everything that I talk about in the book. So kind of identifying the audience, number one, first and foremost, because it's much much easier to create content. It's much easier to know where to go to find those clients once you know who they are. So once I found out, right, that is the audience, then everything becomes easier, right? Okay, so now I know the audience, what are their problems? What are the questions that they are asking? What are their pain points? What are their frustrations? What are their goals? What are their ambitions? All that becomes so much easier when I know who I'm going to serve. So I chose the audience, I started to create content around it. So I did the YouTube videos, I did the blogs, I wrote a book, my first book, well, I think one of my first books was All Your Property Tax Questions Answered. I got that published on Amazon. That then elevated me to the so-called expert in the in the real estate property niche, and that helped to drive really good prospects to me. And through within a space of a couple of years, that was the you know that was the the kind of the trigger and the igniter that helped me to really transform my profit my, our profits because we got into the property niche. We won some big projects, six-figure projects which then gave us the profits to be able to then invest and allowed me to then step away from the practice. So between about 2016 and 2018, we drove the property niche forward. That then allowed me to get to a position where I wasn't spending as much time in the practice anymore. I could em- employ others to come and do the the technical work. And it was at that same time, I was still, I was still with Mark Wickersham on his mentoring program and he saw the results I was getting. So he said to me, look, you need to come and talk to the audience, you know, the other accountants about what you're doing and how you're implementing value pricing to get these results. So I did that. It went really well. And then he invited me to come back every single month. So we got into an arrangement where I was helping accountants do this thing, you know, mentoring them every month to help them with not just their pricing, but also other aspects of the of the practice when it comes to you know positioning and people and processes and after about a year and a half, then we decided to go our separate ways. So when I started teaching, when I had my own program now, the pack that I teach accountants through, one of the, the, the biggest challenge that comes up is, how do we win new clients from my audience? How do we get new business? The number one challenge that accountants have. So ra- I decided, right, in February 2021, rather than just teach you, I'm going to do it with you. So everyone just comes to me and said, Oh, it's okay for you because you know, you're established mm-hmm. and you already had a team and you know, you had a practice that goes back to you know, 40 years. It's easy for you to do this. I said, Okay, fine. Well, I'm going to set up a brand new accounting firm with a new niche and a new message and a new website and a new lead magnet and a newly developed marketing strategy and tactics. And I'll share it all with you in real time. And let's see what happens. You raise the stakes. Work, then egg on my face you raised
3: the stakes and you <laughs> took a big risk doing that too
1: absolutely so that was the birth of capture accounting february and it was a marketing experiment uh, how was that experiment
3: going two years that, later
1: oh fantastic it's our most uh, profitable and rapidly growing sector of the practice so we still have the original firm. so it's the most so profitable the
3: sector and it's a new but it's still part of the original firm it's just a different exactly, branding yeah. and different. oh wow interesting so you really yeah. did take this to the level that ron talks about is you opened up the ruth chris across the street from the mcdonald's well it wasn't even a mcdonald's you had another steakhouse because it was real estate did you cut all of your other clients when you became real estate only or you still had those other clients
1: we still have it. so we still have a mixed bag of clients so we've got mixed we've got property and now we've got the content creators you- but it's all under one entity still. Interesting. They're they're just brand names. So
3: your teams that work with those clients, do you have teams centered around just real estate and just content creators now?
1: Exactly, yeah. So within the practice, we then have people who specialize in property or people who specialize in the content creators because that's the benefit of niching down, right? You go narrow and you go deep into one particular area and that's how you add value. That's how you then see it you know, clients then see you as the expert because you've gone narrow and you've gone deep. You understand their problems. Your team are able to answer questions on the fly because they get the same question, you know, over and over. Clients can see you you add a hell of a lot of value to them because you're dealing with other people like them. And that's how you generate efficiencies. By not working with 57 different industries, but actually, you know, bring it, bring it in, bring that down to three or four maximum of different industries that you work with, and your team will become a lot more efficient at what they do. And if your team are efficient, and you're able to bring in more at the top end through your pricing and positioning, then the the gap is your lovely profit as the owner at the end.
3: Yeah, that's your time, money and freedom right there. That's effective, too you're a master at articulating all this stuff too. And I think that's, you know, that goes with your focus and your dedication to your craft too. Because all throughout you're an entrepreneur throughout all of these journeys and everything that you're doing, maybe not with your family, but you're an entrepreneur with everything else. There's a lot of endeavors here. You've got the firm that has essentially three arms. Well, two, when you focus on client acquisition, do you still do the real estate and do you still take on any other general client too? Or do you just do the content now?
1: Our our marketing is focused mainly on the content creators, although the assets that we had created for the property tax niche are still around. So the YouTube videos I did four or five years ago, the book I wrote is still out there. So that is the beauty of creating these digital assets, leading with value, because those things are evergreen. And they will persist and people will still find them and they'll get value and benefit from them. And they'll get in touch with you, even though you may not, you know, for years after you first document and put these things in place. So it's definitely worth time investment to create these digital assets because they will generate you an investment for years to en- on end.
3: Absolutely. And I've been doing it with no intention. I've just been kind of wallowing around in this whole space, <laughs> creating the content and this is a template this is a way forward with some more focus and you're able to spend your time or allocate your time among all of these things do you handle all of the the property portfolio too do you handle everything there does your wife also help with that
1: for that i luckily as part of my team i have uh, a very good administrator in my team who handles most of the property side of things in terms of the management so i just get involved in um and you know, purchases, growing the portfolio, that sort of
3: thing. How about for the pack? Do you have does your team overlap there too? Do you have more of a administrative that handles the firm and the pack?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So it's a very lean machine. We um I've got a like a an assistant, a marketing assistant who operates out of Tanzania. So she helps with the operation side of things. I have Karen, who's also in my practice an administrator, she handles customer support. So they kind of overlap in her work and a lot and we have you know we have really good systems so we use notion notion is like my second brain yes so i've built my second brain
3: called second brain that teaches you how to use notion in that way
1: absolutely yep yeah i've got the book tiago forte stuff that's pretty good good going so we've we've got we've got good systems which allow us to uh you know to leverage our assets so i create the content and then we'll repurpose the hell out of that content to make sure it lasts and goes through all the platforms. And we've got this marketing engine working from, you know, top of funnel in terms of awareness, getting it out on social media. And then we have particular lead magnets, which get, then get the accountants into the funnel through the, the book or other uh, lead magnets. And then we nurture them over time through our email engine before eventually uh, getting them into, into the pack or the PAM. Uh,
3: the case the may pack be. or the pan or on your pap, which is part of the content creation and the marketing engine. <laughs> That's awesome. This is so inspiring for me and, and for our listeners too, because you've done this all, you know, as an accountant, you grew to be an entrepreneur and you're, You've got a bit, of, a little bit of an empire that's running lean too. You've got multiple different things you're doing. I know "empire" is too big of a word. We haven't gotten to the empire stage yet, but you've written multiple books, you've got multiple businesses, you've got four kids. That's that in and of itself is the full time job. You know that's that's what you're doing all of this for, and you're able to spend quality time with your kids and go on holiday and go on vacation. You also there was one one little tidbit i wanted to jump throw in before we wrap up you talked you told the story about the turkish barber and <laughs> god i love that because i go to the barber shop at least once a week i just have them do my face i don't even cut my hair anymore mean, my hair's been grown out for a year at least since the last time i saw you i think i haven't got a haircut but i go <laughs> every week to the barber shop and i and i like a good shave that's all i do is trim up the beard and shave and it's hard to find a good barber these days. And I didn't know there was a such thing as a Turkish barber. Is that more of a UK thing, or is it everywhere?
1: Uh, I, I thought it was everywhere, but maybe maybe, maybe there's a proliferation in the UK yeah. of Turkish
3: barbers. So, um, beautiful story. Why, why, don't you, why don't you tell a little bit about it, because you helped him out, too. And he was delivering an amazing service. For no money at all. And this is a lot of and you saw the correlation between a lot of accounting firms and what they're doing with their clients, going above and beyond, doing all kinds of things and not charging for it. So Absolutely. your expectations, it was underwhelming almost, right? Like the, as far as the money goes, as far as the price, you may not have even gone there if you saw all the prices for everything. You may not have thought twice to even go to establishment with such dirt cheap prices.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And this is, this is our our problem that you know we often, you know, we we, we don't realize our worth. And not just accountants; most business owners don't realize their worth, and don't increase their prices because they of this kind of scarcity mindset. But actually, you know, when you can, you're delivering a lot of value, and that's what I said to this. I uh, went to the the Turkish barber, and I go in, and I get greeted, and he offers me a Turkish coffee, uh, and then my time comes. I sit on the chair. Uh, I get the you know really good um, really good blend going on, and he spends a lot of time on my hair. Then they do the eyebrows, they do the nose clipping, they do the the fire thing on the ears to burn off the hair around <laughs> I your ears. That, yeah. Then I get the you know the hot towel on my face, you know, it's like a Rolls Royce full Turkish VIP experience. And he does this to everyone, and he charges everyone the same price of just thirteen pounds. In dollars wise, it's probably about $16, 17 dollars for this whole experience. And I said to him, I said, you are far too cheap. You're leaving money on the table. I would gladly pay you another $5, $10, 5 pounds for this same service. But not only, he said, oh, no, no, people won't pay that. People won't pay it. I said, I would pay it. So what you need to do is that you need to have different options for different people. Because different people value things differently. So I said, if you were to have three options, you had one basic option where people just come in and they get a haircut and they go out and you charge them the £13. Because some people, that's all they want. They want to come in, they come out, that's it. They don't want to sit there for long. Then you have another experience, one level up, which gives them a wash as well and maybe a couple of other bells and whistles. And then your premium full Turkish experience can be the whole, the coffee, the Seems hot the towel, ears. the eyebrows, yeah. all that kind of stuff for, you know, 20, 21 pounds. So you can increase your prices by 30% and you would get it from people who value having that full Turkish and still, and you would have, so therefore you would have, you'd be making a hell of a lot more money because now the people that value the surface will pay you, you know, 40, 50% more. And those that don't, you won't have to spend 50% more time on them because all they want is a haircut and they're still prepared to pay that same price. So just by incorporating another two levels of options in your pricing, you will end up having, you know, making a lot more money without actually generating any new customers, just from your existing customer base. And the same thing applies to most of us accountants who can do the same.
3: Wow. Well. Now, he doesn't have an accountability partner or somebody watching over him. Have you gone back since, and has he done anything differently? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have gone back since, and uh, we have the same conversation. Same conversation. He's stuck, he's, this, still... yep. he's stuck on the hamster wheel, right? He's just too busy working in the business. He's working you know, 13, 14 hours a day cutting hair that he has no time or headspace afterwards to be able to actually work on his business. Even though he's getting, you know, valuable advice that you know I would charge clients tens of thousands of pounds for, I'm giving him to free. But you know, when you are in, when you're in that technician mindset and you have that scarcity, it's very difficult to break through. Well, and
3: he may not have any pains of the present. You know, he may not. It may not be that he's in money trouble. He may live. He may live within his means. He's probably been doing this for a while, and there are not enough pains to cause him to want to change. I've said this a lot, and you you said this in so many words earlier on is the pa- the change ha- i mean the present has to be very painful for you to really mm. seek out the change there has to be plentiful pain in the present for you to want to go through the pains of change cuz change is hard too going through change is very difficult you're upending a lot of things that are just on autopilot and like i was saying and i like i hinted to my whole existential crisis was painful now it was necessary and it was it was powerful and it was, I'm on the other side of it now. I think I am. I'm very close to the other side of it. I feel like after this, this reset, this last trip, trips are always reset. You say that creates space, you know, when you're on holiday and you get time to think after this reset, I'm on the other side of that existential crisis, but it's a crisis and it's painful to change. So just a forewarning for anybody that's seeking out change at their firm or seeking out change the way they do things. That's going to be painful too. And You've gone through it. I've gone through it. It's worth it. On the other side, it's so much freer. You feel free. You know, you have that time and you have that freedom, but you also have the money too. You know, mm-hmm. you, you could have freedom and time, but no money. And then you're just roaming the streets, right? Like <laughs> you kind of need all three to be happy. Absolutely. It's that pursuit of happiness. And I think you've. Yeah. You're on that journey, I'm on that journey, and anybody that wants to come along with us, there's room on the escalator. Um, Absolutely. To be on that Absolutely. journey with you. Yeah.
1: That's the, the, um, the driver of all human vote motivation, right? We do, everything we do is, is driven by a desire to avoid pain or to seek pleasure. Ooh, okay. So everything we do, it falls within, all human vote motivation falls within one of those two brackets, a desire to avoid pain or a desire to seek pleasure. But the desire to avoid pain is a greater motivator than a desire to seek pleasure. Which is why in our marketing as well, we focus on the problems, focus on the pain, because your clients, business owners, are more driven, more motivated to avoid pain than they are to seek pleasure. So talk about what the loss of, you know, not coming on board with you, the potential loss of, you know, getting an inquiry from the IRS, the potential loss of you know, their business failing or not being able to get the figures that they need to make better decisions. Focus on the potential loss that could arise and that will motivate them into taking action because we are motivated by desire to avoid loss and avoid pain.
3: Avoid pain. So that's fear. That's the fear driver. Absolutely. And the second one is to seek pleasure and wow all right i love this that's that stems off a whole nother conversation that we'll have another time <laughs> it's gonna be great this is great i appreciate you Riza. um any parting wisdom where i know our our audience they could find you on linkedin you also have rizzahuda.com r-e-z-a-h-o-o-d-a.com mm-hmm. find them on linkedin too and
1: yeah. I'm happy. If if your listeners want a copy of my book, I'll send you a link. I have some free copies. Happy to ship internationally as well. Just cover the shipping and handling fee. I'll send you a link and you can put it in the podcast description for uh, anyone who wants uh, a copy of the book whilst the free
3: copies last. While the free copies last, you can get your free copy. Just pay for shipping (laughs) if you're in the U.S., if you're in the U.K., he'll fired off to yeah I don't know I don't know how that works if you're in the UK you should already be following Rizzo. you should not be listening to this <laughs> yeah. show and have this be a gateway he's he's <laughs> big over there this is this is awesome and I have one oh man one more one more like one liner here so I was with a lot of people on my last trip that from the UK or from Europe and all of their phones had the time in 24 hour time right and I'm looking at it and I realized that they were saying five o'clock, four o'clock, but it said, you know, 16 or 18 whatever the time was. And I always thought that you guys said it 16 or 17. I always thought that was the time that you guys said. And then I realized you guys are like trained to do the math in your head or you just see it. And when you see sixteen, fifteen, you know, that's what, what's 16, four, four, four five, see, yeah. see, I, I still don't know it. And I thought I, was, I thought I was being smart, and I changed my clock to the 24-hour time because I thought it made more sense. When everybody explained it to me how they were doing it, it kind of made more sense to me, but I still didn't know the conversion. So the punchline to all of this is the next day I'm at the airport, and my gate got changed, things got moved around, and I thought I was fine because... I thought it was an hour earlier and I missed my flight because it changed the time. I missed my flight and I ended up, I was there for like another day because of, because I'm an idiot and because I thought I was being smart. So (laughs) be a lesson to anybody. Don't, don't get ahead of yourselves in this whole journey too. I was like, oh man, I'm going to be a more evolved human. I'm going to use the 24 hour time. This, this whole American (laughs) way of doing things is just not working. Oh man. And I missed my flight. So, oh
1: god, yeah, yeah. Just don't do it before, yeah, before you have a flight to catch. Oof,
3: I know. All right. Well, <laughs> bad story, bad joke, but this just happened a couple of days ago. So there you go. <laughs> this is why I was late. This is why I didn't. I couldn't read your book because I changed my clock to twenty four ah. hours, and I got stuck there for a whole nother day, and it, it okay. threw everything off. But I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing the book. I love it. This is this is awesome. Get your book. We'll put the link in the show notes. And thank you for coming on. This is a guidepost in our series of different series in Accounting High. This is one of the guideposts. And the color of the guidepost is yellow. And your color of your book is yellow. It's that sun. Mm -hmm. It's that north star leading the way. And you're following the light. And that's the light, the yellow. So thank you, Rizzo. Nice. Appreciate it. Thank you very much,
1: Scotty. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.